I appreciate the prayer that you offered for me, or you uh, offered on my behalf, Zane. And I, my prayer is, is you leave this building today, you are challenged to be a better Christian than you were in the past. In Matthew chapter 22, in verse 36 through 38, a person asked Jesus, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Do you love God? It's easy to say, yes, I love God. But do you actually love God? Jesus said we are to love him with our heart, with our soul, with our mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. As Zane prayed in his prayer, God showed his love to us by sending his son to die for us. And God has blessed us in countless ways. Do we love him back? Do we return that love? You know, when a husband loves a wife, what does he want in return? He wants her to give her heart to him. And a loving wife, what does she want from her husband? She wants him to be faithful and to give her heart, give his heart to her. And the Bible uses the marriage analogy so often to describe our relationship with God. He's shown his love to us. Do we show our love to him? He says we're to love him and we're to give him our heart. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, the wise man said, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. God knows if we give our heart to him, every other aspect of our life will be in service to him, will be to live for him. But here's the problem. God isn't the only person who wants our heart, is he? Satan wants our heart too. And whereas God wants our heart so he can bless us and, and love us and, and give us joy and peace and blessings, Satan wants our heart for a much different purpose. In Luke chapter 22 in verse 31, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Satan told Peter, beware. Satan wants you. He's going to test you. He's going to try you. And Satan cared about Simon as much as a farmer cares about wheat. He just wants to use it for himself. He has no desire to serve in return. Satan wanted an opportunity to turn Peter and the other apostles' hearts into his service. And so this morning, what I want to do is, I want to do what he talks about in Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Paul says, what, whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now we don't live under the old law anymore. But like Paul said, we can turn back to the Old Testament and we can read things that help us to understand what kind of world we live in and what things are going on. And so this morning, I want to look at 2 Samuel chapter 15. I want to examine this story and think about some applications and some principles that you and I can apply to our life. The reality is, is that every day there's a tug of war going on for our heart. God wants our heart and Satan wants our heart. And we have to make the decision. Are we going to give it to God? Or are we going to allow Satan to steal our heart? In 2 Samuel 15, we have the story of Absalom 
stealing the hearts of the men of Israel. And so I hope that you will tune into the, the lesson this morning and, and pay close attention to the words that we read. Now, if you remember, most of us are familiar with the sin that David committed with Bathsheba. He committed adultery with her. There was a pregnancy as a result of that. And what David did is he decided to have Uriah killed by putting him at the front of the battle and pulling the other soldiers back so that he could cover his sin. He was willing to take another man's life. God punished him for that. And the Bible says that God promised, as a part of that punishment, a family rebellion as punishment for his sin. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, God sends Nathan the prophet to David. And Nathan says, Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? David despised the commandment of God. He goes on to say, Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor. He shall lie with thy wives in the sight of the in the sight of this son, for thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. So God promised David that there was going to be a rebellion arise from his family. And we continue on and we see David's family becomes a wreck. It's a wreck. And I have here on the PowerPoint a simple uh, diagram of David's family. On the left side, you have one wife whose name is Ahinoam, she bore David's first son, whose name was Amnon. Amnon was the first son, so he was going to be the king of Israel. But on the other side, David had another wife named Maacah. She bore two children, one named Absalom and one named Tamar. Now Amnon was not a godly man, and the Bible tells us that he became obsessed with his half-sister Tamar. He forced himself upon her. And took what was not rightfully his. And Absalom, his half-brother, hated him for it. And the Bible says that Absalom waited patiently for the perfect opportunity to take his vengeance. Because he was not satisfied with David's justice. And so he decided that he was going to take out vengeance on, on Amnon. And he, he slew him. And immediately ran off. And so David was in much grief. He lost one son to death and one son to exile. David had a, a faithful servant named Joab who knew this, and he came up with a way to allow Absalom to come back to Jerusalem without being punished. And we see this in 2 Samuel 14, verse 21, where David tells Joab, or the Bible says, And the king said unto Joab, Behold now, I have done this thing. Go therefore, bring the young man Absalom again. So without any form, of, any form of punishment, Absalom is brought back to Jerusalem. Even though he has proven that he is a wicked man, a sinful man willing to do what's not right, David allows him to come back. And that's where we pick up in 2 Samuel chapter 15, and we see Absalom's lust to take things into his own hand continues, where we see Absalom steals the heart of the men of Israel. So in 2 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 1, the Bible says it came to pass after this 
that Absalom prepared him chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. He wanted to be important, and he wanted everyone to know he was important. I need all these men and these men and chariots running before me. Verse 2 says, And Absalom rose up early and stood beside the way to the gate. And it was so that when any man that had a controversy came to the king for judgment, then Absalom called unto him and said, Of what city art thou? And he said, Well, thy servant is of one of the tribes of Israel. And Absalom said unto him, See, thy matters are good and right, but there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. Absalom said, Moreover, O that I were made judge in the land, that every man which hath any suit or cause might come unto me, and I would do him justice. And it was so that when any man came nigh to him to do him obeisance, he put, forth to his, he put forth his hand and took him, and he kissed him. And on this manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And it came to pass after 40 years that Absalom said unto the king, I pray thee, let me go and pay my vow, which I have vowed unto the Lord in Hebron. For thy servant vowed a vow while I abode at Geshur in Syria, saying, If the Lord shall bring me again indeed to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. And the king said unto him, Go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. But Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom reigneth in Hebron. And we're going to stop there, but I would encourage you on your own time to go through and read what happens. Absalom does obtain the throne, and David has to flee for some time. And there was a family rebellion in Israel due to David's sin. Now, what we see here is a man who is desperate, who is cunning, and very, very patient. And over a period of time, Absalom is able to slowly gain one heart after the other for his cause. You see, David was a good king overall. He was an anointed king of God. And this was his right to the throne. God had put him there. But Absalom wanted that. He wanted what was not his and he was willing to do whatever he could to, do, to, to obtain it. Now, he couldn't have just gone up there and said, I'm, I'm the king. No, the people would not have accepted that. They were loyal to David. So what did he have to do? He had to slowly, cleverly steal their hearts without them realizing that. So I want to go back and I want to look at these verses a little bit closely and see the three basic things that Absalom did in order to steal the hearts. So how did Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel? Number one, he did it by inserting himself between the subject and the king. In 2 Samuel 15, verse 2, the Bible says, And Absalom rose up early and stood beside the way of the gate. So if you remember, you probably remember the story of Jericho and, and Israel, Joshua and Israel marching around the walls of Jericho. Those cities were fortified with great walls as a defensive mechanism. And there were gates strategically stationed around there. And so what Absalom knew is men of importance, men of wealth, as they would come to Jerusalem, they would all come this one road through this one gate. All these great important people. And so he said, I'm going to wait beside the gate. Let's continue on. <clears throat> and it was so that when any man that had a controversy came to the king for judgment, then Absalom called unto him and said, of what city art thou? And he said, Thy servant is of one of the tribes of Israel. So 
every day, the Bible says, he, he got up early to go do this. This was something that was important to him, important enough that he would get up early to do it. He didn't piddle around till afternoon, but every day he wanted to be stationed by that gate. And as men of importance and men of value that could help his cause came to Israel, he would see them way out there in the distance, and he would go out to meet them, and he would start a conversation with them. Hey, where are you, where are you from? What's going on? So the first thing that he did was insert himself between the subject and the king. Those people didn't come to see Absalom. They came to see David to bring their, their lawsuit or their case before him so that he could make a judgment. But Absalom wanted to distract them. The next thing that Absalom did was he told lies about the king. As the conversation went on, Absalom began to sow lies about David during the conversation. Let's read verses 3 and 4. The Bible says, And Absalom said unto him, See, thy matters are good and right, but there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. He said, Look around. You have a good cause. You have a good case. But where's David? Where's his men? They're not here to hear you. I'm, I'm here to hear you. And he goes on to say in verse 4, Absalom said, Moreover, O that I were made judge in the land, that every man which hath any suit or cause might come unto me, and I would do him justice. Not only is David not here to listen to you, but I'm here. I care about you. And he plants this seed, this idea in their minds. You know, if Absalom was in power, justice would happen. The rights would be righted and the wrongs would be wronged. But under David, Absalom says it's not happening. Justice is not done. And so he begins to tell lies about David to insert a wedge between the subject and the king to maybe knock a little bit of crack in their loyalty, a little crack in their loyalty so that they would switch their loyalty over to him. And the final thing Absalom would do to them is he would appeal to their pride. He would appeal to their pride. Let's read Verse 5, And it was so that when any man came nigh to him to do him obeisance, he put forth his hand and took him and kissed him. So when a person would approach the king or any member of his family, what would they do? They would show honor to them. And Absalom said no. And he would take them by the hand and he would give them a brotherly kiss, as was the custom of that day. And he would make them feel special. Wow, he really cares about me. I must be something special to Absalom. And the Bible says, And on this manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. The new King James says in this manner he acted. It was all an act. Did he really care about these people? No. Did he care about justice being done? No. All he wanted was the throne. And he was willing to act in whatever manner he could to steal the the throne from David. You know, Absalom was a perfect politician. What do politicians, or what do aspiring politicians who want power, what do they do? They say, look at me, listen to what I have to say. They tell lies about the guy in the power, and they, they p- paint this picture of, man, life would be really good if I was in power. And then they go over after they give their speech, and they hold babies, and then they shake hands, and they make you feel special. Absalom was a great politician. And he knew that this was the best way 
to steal the loyalty from the guy who was in power, King David. But it was all an act. He didn't really care about them. So how Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel, that's really interesting. But how does that apply to us? Absalom was a physical thief of the hearts of men who were subject to a physical King David. But today, you and I live in a spiritual kingdom, and God is our king. And rightfully so, we should be subject to him. And like Absalom, every day, Satan is trying to steal our hearts. And that's what he's been doing since the beginning of time. And so what I want to do now is I want to look at how he employed these exact same tactics in the garden with Eve. Number one, like Absalom, Satan inserted himself between the subject and the king in the garden. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, the Bible says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Have you ever thought what it was like in the garden before this exact moment? Things were pretty good, weren't they? Adam and Eve were getting along. They were subject to God. God walked in the garden with them. Things were pleasant, weren't they? But along comes Satan, and he says, hey, look at me. Look at me. And he got her eyes off of, off of serving God, her eyes unfocused from God. Satan appeared, and his first step was to distract her as he took on the form of the serpent. And he starts up this question, much like Absalom did, a simple, innocent question to start a conversation like absalom satan told eve lies about the king in genesis chapter 3 verse 2 and the woman said unto the serpent we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden god hath said you shall not eat of it neither shall ye touch it lest ye die and the serpent said unto the woman you shall not surely die for God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened. Eve had never had a reason to doubt what God had said until this very moment. And Satan appeared to her, and he put doubt on God, much like Absalom put doubt on David in the hearts of the subjects. Essentially what God was saying, or essentially what Satan was saying, God doesn't care about you. He's kept things back from you that you deserve. He planted that little wedge in the loyalty between God and Eve, hoping to drive it apart. And then last, the last straw to break the camel's back, so to say, Satan appealed to Eve's pride. The Bible says in verse 5 for, that Satan said, For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Eve had no idea, but Eve had just taken her heart from God and handed it over to Satan. This was the last step that, that Satan used to steal her heart and to give it, or to steal her heart from God for himself. He appealed to her pride and said, You can be God. You can be at the same level of God. And Eve desired that, and she was willing to take that fruit and eat that fruit. She had no idea what she had done. But we know the rest of the story. Sin and death 
and all the suffering that goes with it entered into this world because Eve gave her heart to Satan. So we've looked at Absalom. We've seen how he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. We've looked at Eve to see how Satan stole stole her heart from God. Now let's think about us today. How does Satan try to steal our heart? You've guessed it, the exact same way, the exact same tactics. Satan will try to insert himself between us, the subject, and the king. We see an example of this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 10. Paul in his letter to Timothy says, Do thy diligence to come, unto me, to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, and Titus unto Dalmatia. Have you ever thought about how cool it would be to travel with Apostle Paul on his journeys? Now, there would be some suffering involved, but it would be pretty cool. Demas got to do that. And I think about the times that I've been able to do things like that, travel with evangelists, spend time in Bible studies. It's the most spiritually minded I am. It It didn't matter for Demas. He loved the world. And it doesn't matter who you are today, how long you've been a Christian, how much Bible you know, what kind of things you've done for God. Satan is after your heart too. Demas was able to travel with Paul, but he loved the present world. And like Satan dangled that fruit and all the things that came with it before Eve, Satan dangles things in front of us today, trying to distract us, trying to keep our eyes uh, from being focused on God. So today, has Satan stolen your focus? What things does he use to keep you distracted from God? What kind of activities and pursuits and events and pleasures and entertainment do you allow Satan to keep you from focus on God? It could be a basketball. It could be a, a phone or some kind of entertainment or your job or anything in the world, whatever it takes, Satan will use it to distract us from serving God. Secondly, Satan will do what? He'll tell lies to us about the king. Notice what 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, Paul was concerned about the Corinthians. And he said, But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Paul was concerned about false teachers coming. People who worked for Satan and sowed discord and deceit and corrupted the simplicity of Christ. Satan is at work trying to sow lies about God. And it doesn't take long as you walk outside of this building to start hearing those lies. As our society pushes the lies for Satan, doesn't it? Our society tells us that the Bible is old and antiquated. It's old-fashioned. The Bible's inaccurate. It's a work of humans, not of God. They'll tell us that Genesis 1 is a lie. They'll tell us it's not worth being a Christian. They'll say all your brothers and and sisters that you sit with on the pews are hypocrites. And it's not worth you being a part of the church. Our society tells us that God is mean because he won't let you do what you want to do. And you could go on and on and on about the different lies that Satan is trying to get us to believe every single day. Absalom used lies to steal the loyalty from, from David. 
Satan used a lie to deceive Eve. Is Satan telling lies that you're believing today? Are you allowing those lies to fester in your mind and not investigating those, not allowing the truth to come out? Don't do it. The last thing Satan will do is he will appeal to our pride. Paul describes this exact scenario in Romans chapter 1 and verse 21. He says, because that when they knew not God, they glorified him not as God. He's talking about the Gentile world, the Roman Empire, the the world that they lived in. And he says, they knew God, but they didn't glorify him as God. They were not thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also hath gave them up to uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. The description that Paul tells of, this, of, of the world that he lived in is very similar to our society today. Think about the history of our our nation and and the society we live in. There used to be a majority of Christians pursuing God, seeking God, striving to serve God. But as time has gone on, what has our society done? It's become distracted by stuff and by money. It started to believe lies about God. And now our society is all about serve yourself. And humanism reigns. Humans are God. And that's exactly the lie that Satan wants us to believe. You don't have to serve God to be happy. You don't have to serve God. You can serve yourself and be your own God. And that's the the blessed you will ever be. You don't need God. You don't need the God of the Bible. As we look out into the world, we see that Satan has stolen the heart of our society, hasn't he? And our society has no idea. They're completely unaware Has he stolen your heart this morning? What kind of things is he using to steal your heart? We need to be aware. So what do we need to do about it? What do we need to do? That's what it comes down to. What's the application for us? Number one, we need to always be aware of Satan's goal. Always be aware of it. In Hosea chapter 4 verse 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. They had no understanding of what was going on. The Israelites were not aware that Absalom was using them for his own benefit. Eve had no idea what Satan was doing. And many today have no idea how Satan is stealing their hearts for his own use. Don't be be these people who are destroyed for lack of knowledge. In 2 Timothy chapter 2. The Bible says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, and meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare, the trap of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. That's not very appealing, is it? We don't like to be trapped. We don't like to be tricked. We don't like to be doing what someone else wants us to do. You see, what Satan does is he wraps sin up in a perfect little package with a cute little bow on it and makes it look so appealing, doesn't he? But when we open it up, 
what's inside. Think about what Eve experienced. After she partook of that fruit, her relationship with God was severed. They couldn't be together anymore. She was kicked out of the garden. Don't you think as she was walking out of that garden and got to look at it one last time, man, that was a dumb decision. And she got to experience death. And it really came alive when she looked down and she saw her son who had been murdered by her other son. She realized what she had done. It was too late. She had bit the fruit. Her heart had been stolen. And Satan got to use it for his will. It was so wonderful, so pleasant, just for that instant. But then the suffering and the shame came. And Satan will do the exact same thing. He doesn't care about our suffering, the shame, the pain. All he wants is our heart, and he'll have it no matter what. We need to be aware of his goal and be aware of his tactics. That's exactly what we've been doing this morning. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2.11, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Let's not be ignorant of the way Satan works. Think about the things that we've talked about this morning and other principles from God's word and apply those to our lives. Be aware of them. Think about them all the time because Satan's always working on us. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the trickery of the devil. God has given us the tools to withstand Satan. And we're told to put on the whole armor of God. Don't let Satan find the crack in your armor, but be prepared in every situation. And number three, guard your heart above all else. We spend a lot of money on security, don't we? People put up security cameras around their house. They put their money in a bank, and millions and billions of money is spent guarding and protecting things. The most important thing that we have is our heart and our soul. And Satan is after it. And I want to remind you of the verse we looked at at the beginning. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Satan knows if he has our heart, he can have our life, he can have our family, and he can have our soul for all eternity. That's why we need to guard it. And we need to make sure that God has it in all aspects of our life. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, he says, Be sober. Be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. I like watching nature shows. And those deer or antelope or whatever animals that you see, what are they doing? They're not just always eating grass. They eat grass and they look around for that lion, because they know he's out there. And he's looking for a meal. Satan is out there today. Always be on guard. So this morning, the challenge is let us guard our heart, each and every one of us. Whether you've been a Christian for a day or a Christian for all your life, guard your heart because Satan is after it. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.